Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to today's Arctic Podcast. Today I'm talking with Rainer Maycock, CEO of Silter. Kilter. How are you doing, Rainer? I'm great. How are you, Rona? Great, thank you. Before we start, just a bit of your background so we know who you are. Okay, so uh, gosh, that's a that's a it's a long story. So what I do at the moment, um, and for the last five years, is I'm CEO and founder of Kilter and yeah. child protection software startup. We're developing software for smartphones that detects and blocks cyberbullying, grooming, and suicide and self-harm content. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a technologist. I came from a sales background and management background. I used to work in the media, running radio stations, and and then started my own business, a retail business with my husband. And then a few years ago, I came up with the idea for, for Kilter. And it's a deep tech technology product, so it's been a very steep learning curve over the last five years, um, but it's been in, immensely enjoyable. Um, so, you know, being... Being a deep tech product, I guess, you know, had I known the difficulties that we would have faced in starting out, I don't know whether I would have proceeded, but, you know, I, I suppose there's a blissful, um, blissfulness and ignorance, right? Um, so over the last five years, you know, I, I started the company, came up with the idea, um, you know, I took a bit of advice. The advice was patent first, build later, um, and then spent the next five years making us investor ready and finally, finally got funded. Um, so we're, we're off to the races and now we're in kind of, you know, deep in, uh, in R and D territory. Um, so I, that's basically the, the kind of the, the genesis of the, of me, um, and where I am now. Um, I guess, would you like me to go into a little bit of detail on why I found the company? Yeah, and, that'd be uh, great to know how you yeah, started it. Cause okay. I'm thinking that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a bit random because, um, you know, I never did tech before, but, um, when I was pregnant with my kids, I, um, I, there was one particular instance I kept getting served the image of Alan Kurdi, the little Syrian boy that washed up on the beach in Turkey, and I couldn't cope with seeing yeah. his image. Um, so I looked around for a filter on Facebook and Twitter so I could keep using social media myself, and I couldn't find one. So I kind of forgot about that, and then when I had my kids, my perspective changed entirely, and all I could see were headlines of children that had been systematically cyberbullied, groomed, sextorted from, coerced, and then pushed into the irreversible. And the one common thread was that parents didn't know there was a problem with their child until it was far too late. And I became a bit terrified, as most parents do. And I thought, why is nobody dealing with cyberbullying and grooming? And I spoke to a friend of mine who's a technologist, and he said, look, that idea for a filter seems to be a really natural fit for a parental control. Why don't you have a look in that space and see if there's something already there? So I took a deep dive into the parental control market to see what was there for parents. And you know, what's there basically for parents to protect their kids when they give them a smartphone is all app-based technology. Yeah. So there's about 250 parental control apps on the App Store, on the Google Play Store, maybe 220 on the App Store. And they all share a variety of features. They all have um, access restriction and monitoring so you can um, stop your child becoming addicted to their phone. They have yeah. pornography and gambling blocking. They've got geofencing and geotracking so you can find your child if they have their, their phone on them. But none of them were dealing with cyberbullying and grooming. And I thought, my God, why? It seems to be quite obvious. Maybe I'm the only parent that's terrified of this. And I did a, dig di a deep dive into the, the research. And there was a web-wide study that had been done at the time. And it found it was assessing parents' biggest concerns when they gave their child a smartphone. And there was four big equal concerns that yeah. they came up with. that they would. So parents were afraid their child would access pornography, spend too much time online, be groomed, or cyberbullied. 
So basically the parental control market was super serving the pornography and the access restriction, but the other 50% of parents' needs weren't being met at all by the, the tools that were available. And I, you know, being a salesperson, I thought if we build it, they'll come. Why is no one doing this? So I started to teach myself about the technology and and I realized that if you want to access most cyberbullying and, and grooming ends up in messaging apps. Yeah. Specifically encrypted apps are, <clears throat> are very very dangerous for kids. And the earliest point, you can't access content in messaging apps by another app because apps operate on a peer-to-peer -peer system. Yeah. So you can download all the best in show of the parental control apps like SageNet, Bark, Keepers, but they all sit at the same permissions layer as Snapchat, TikTok, yeah. WhatsApp, Telegram. So they will never be able to access those. So they'll never be able to detect and remove harmful content. So the earliest point in the tech stack that you can access all incoming and outgoing data is the operating system. Yeah. It's the kernel level. So you have to have an embedded technology. It is built into the fabric of the device. So nobody was doing it because it's hard. You know, you need a partner, an OEM, that's going to agree to your code going in to the, the operating system. So we weren't deterred. We decided to go ahead anyway. And as I said, we, we took the advice. The advice was patent first, build later. So we developed the patent the, for the operating system modification. So that's the method by which we access all the incoming and outgoing data on the device. So once that was granted, we started to build the team. We proved, we developed the prototype specifically working on WhatsApp because we knew if we proved it working on SMS or Messenger at the time, the first thing people would say is, oh yeah, that's great, but what about encrypted apps? Because that's the future of harmful yeah. content. Because even then, you know, there was whisperings about the, the DSA and legislation coming down the track that would, you know, compel big tech to remove harmful and illegal content. So we knew that bad actors wouldn't slither away. They would just move all their content as they have been yeah. doing to encrypted apps. So the future of harmful content was always going towards encrypted apps, because that's out of the reach of scrutiny, even by big tech themselves. I mean, even the Digital Services Act, Act as it stands now doesn't compel big tech to filter or remove or um, or report harmful content in their encrypted services, because yeah. they can't. So um, we proved it working on WhatsApp, filtering WhatsApp, and you can see that demo on our website. And then we started to build a team. We built an amazing team. Uh, our CTO, our head of AI is a guy called Dr. Zhang Zhu. He developed the racially motivated, uh, the, the algorithm for the uh, hate track tool, which was developed to detect racially motivated hate speech on Twitter. We've got really amazing um, CMO, CCO, and we've built a really amazing team now. And we knew it was going to cost us about $4 million to get to market. So $4 million is a fruity raise anywhere in the world, but in Ireland, it's next to impossible, as yeah. I'm sure you're aware of. So we knew we'd need to de-risk with a bit of public money. So we started the process of, of applying for Horizon 2020, which is extremely painful. And we got four seals of excellence, which basically means extremely close, but no cigar. And then we applied for the Irish version, which is the Disruptive Technology Innovation Fund. Now, uh, with the DTIF, you have to apply as a consortium. So we already yeah. had a great relationship with the Anti-Bullying Research and Resource Centre in, in DCU and ADAPT SFI. And we had a relationship with Amoric as well. So it was kind of a hand-in-glove consortium. Yeah. So very long story short, we applied in call three, didn't get it applied in call four and got us. And we started our project there earlier this year. Um, but it's been a long road getting there. Now, COVID, you know, put a halt to our march, really. Um, and that kind of forced us back into developing relationships with stakeholders and getting all the support that we would need. You know, for instance, we made really amazing inroads in terms of building our advisory board. Um, you know, we've got Ronan Dunn on our advisory board. He's the former chief executive of Verizon Consumer Products in the in the States. He used to run um, O2. 
um, Stephen Brewer again, and yep. an incredible veteran of uh, of telco, who I'm sure you know. Um, so we've got all of these amazing people on our advisory board, and that was all kind of facilitated by COVID. You know, we were all stuck in our bedroom, so people were much kinder about you know giving you their time. Yeah. And you didn't have to appeal through eight layers of gatekeepers, you know, to get to the person you wanted to speak to. They were kind of willing. Yeah. Um. So you know, in fairness, a few years ago, five years ago, when I came up with this idea, arguably we were too early. Um. But very much now, this is a part of the zeitgeist. Everybody is talking about child protection. Everybody is talking about, and uh, the DSA and the harms that are done to children. And so, our timing is pretty is pretty perfect right now. Um. So that's effectively how how the the whole thing came about. Um. And now we start our two year projects. Um. And, you know, very recently, only a couple of weeks ago, we launched a public campaign to invite parents and guardians to submit their verbatim examples of harmful content. Yeah. Because <clears throat> if you'll allow me to go into a little bit of detail on the, the tech, the technology is built in, into two, separated into two parts. So there's the operating system modification, which is the method by which we access all the incoming yeah. and outgoing data. But then we have to compare that data that we intercept against our own AI-driven databases. And so we are building our own AI-driven databases in the three problem domains of cyberbullying, grooming, and suicide and self-harm content. And we committed in the DTIP to, to developing our own data sets because there's, a, there's a, a gap in the market when it comes to data sets of this type. So we did a, a really detailed scoping exercise to see where, if there were any repositories in the world of direct victim to groomer and direct victim to cyberbully, yeah. harmful private language. Now, it seems what's out there at the moment has been publicly scraped, you know, from the likes of Twitter or Reddit or Tumblr. And there's no way when you're publicly scraping data like that, that you can identify what age the, the person is, if they're a child or not, yeah. you know, what country they're in, all of that kind of thing. So all of that really key information is missing when you publicly scrape data. And if you're just interviewing people, then they're trying to recall after the fact and they're paraphrasing. So the databases and data sets that are out there at the moment that are trying to detect cyberbullying and grooming from what we can see are based on keywords and key phrases. But all of the other information like, you know, pattern analysis, at what point in a conversation does bullying start to occur? You know, detecting harassment by exclusion by detecting if a child has been dropped from a group, for yeah. instance. So it's not just in key phrase and key keyword analysis. There's all of this other soft contextual information that's missed if you're just building a database from publicly scraping. So we said that we would build the world's first repository of harmful victim to cyberbullying, victim to groomer, and vice versa, private verbatim language that would fill in all of those gaps and allow for elongated pattern analysis in, in terms of our, our AI and improve our detection efficiencies. So we launched this campaign a few weeks ago and, you know, it got great coverage on, on RTE News all day. You yeah. know, we were featured on radio stations and, and newspapers. And I suppose what we really are looking for with parents is to... So Amoric had done a piece of research for us beforehand to gauge interest. And 67% of their parents on their panel said that they would be willing to take part in a, in a survey yeah. like this. It's a very simple mm. survey, you know, it would take 10 minutes. You go to kidsonlinesafetyresearch.ie and you pick the domain that your child has experienced, whether it's grooming, cyberbullying or suicide self-harm. And then you get the opportunity to upload screenshots of um, harmful yeah. conversations or you can enter them manually, or we give you tools where you can, it shows you how to download them directly from the, the offending app, whether it's WhatsApp or Telegram or whatever. So, but parents' big concerns with, with providing this information was that their privacy would be maintained 
and that the information would be anonymized. Now, you and I live in GDPR and anonymization yeah. territory, right? We know what that means. But what we were really surprised that amongst the general public, there's a real awareness of data privacy and the concept of anonymization. So what we were at pains to do was say to parents, look, don't worry, when you submit your data, when we will not process any information that can be linked back to you or your child. We won't collect URLs. We won't collect, like, no PII will be included. So even if you would inadvertently include a name or an email address or a number or anything that could identify somebody, and it's only language, don't forget, no yeah. images. We, we run a scrubbing tool, an automatic scrubbing tool to make sure we remove any personal identifiable information before we save and process any data. So we were always at pains to express to parents, if you do this, it will be completely anonymous and we won't be able to trace this back to you. And we even had to go so far as to say, you know, because of that, we won't be able to remove it. You won't be able to, you know, ask later on for us to remove the data because we won't be able to, to link you to what your yeah. submission was. Um, so we really wanted to make sure everyone knew how easy a process it was and that the information was going to be completely anonymous. And this is all part of our approach in terms of safety by design and privacy by design. So we are endeavoring in every way, shape and form to not just apply best practice in terms of dealing with, with personal sensitive information, but going one step further. Yeah. You know, for instance, when we eventually get to market, um, GDPR would say that all we need is parents' consent, but we're we're looking for explicit consent from the child as well. It won't be it won't be spying software, because all of the research would suggest, you know, from the likes of EU Kids Online, Dr. Sonia Livingston, if you restrict access or if you spy on your child, you yeah. push them into secret internet use. So they just go off and buy a phone, and then you you don't know it's there, and therefore you've got no visibility at all. And what we have been trying to do is create a product where at the end of this cycle, you as a parent can go into a Vodafone store, for instance, and see a Galaxy S10, and you pick the one with the kilter badge in the corner, and you bring it home. You open it up, and you find kilter in settings, you know, yeah. between roaming and Wi-Fi. So it, it is a part of the fabric of the phone. So it can't be deleted, basically, which is a key flaw, actually, identified by the European Commission in parental control apps. They can be circumvented and tampered with and deleted by tech-savvy teens. They'll yeah. always be ahead of us, always, and we need to accept that. So we'll be a part of the fabric of the phone. The default will be off and you'll click on. Yeah. You'll enter the data, you'll enter the date of birth of your child, and um, password protect it, link it to your email address and click apply. And then we apply the settings that are appropriate for that particular age child. If your child is six, you know, we'll apply the, the, the settings for a six-year-old that are appropriate. If they're 16, obviously they'll be an awful lot looser. And so at that stage, you hand your child the phone, but they will always be aware that Kilter is working. They'll have reasonably unfettered access to their device, but they will know that if we detect cyberbullying, grooming, or suicide and self-harm content in a messaging app, we'll block it. We tell them we block it. We saved it in a, save it in a locked file on their phone. We don't forward it to the parent, but we send an alert to the parent. And we say, go to the phone with the child, have a look at this together, yeah. and here's advice on how you communicate about it. So we... We foster this collaborative approach to online safety between parent and child. We endeavor to remove that uh, friction around smartphone use that is yeah. constant amongst a, a lot of families. You know, when a child is trying to get their first phone at age 11 or whatever it is, and by the way, Ofcom came out with research recently that suggested that 20% of three to five-year-olds have their own smartphone. So like this, you know, smartphone smartphone ownership isn't reducing. It's it's getting, it's going higher. So we yeah. need to 
figure out tools and education on how we, we deal with it and prepare kids to, to enjoy all of the benefits of digital citizenship without being harmed. Um, so yeah, so it, it, that's effectively what we're trying to do is create this, this scene where parents and children can communicate about online safety and it reduces that familial friction around smartphone use. And so kids can go online, go on their phones, be creative, get entertained, be educated, yeah. communicate with their friends and not be harmed. Well, you mentioned about young kids getting smartphones. Seven years ago, I was wrote an article about basically the best smartphone for a child was a Windows phone. Because a Windows phone couldn't get the apps you get on other phones. It didn't have Snapchat or anything else. And said, if you give the, kid your, uh, the phone to your kid, it can play music, it can play games, it's got a camera, and they can text their friends. But the apps you're worried about aren't available for that phone. And said, that's why that's where you get your kid. And they can play and say, well, what, what more do you want? You can play games, you can go and I, you, you can just, you can do that. And if they complain about that, you then know, well, then hold on. You want a phone that it's hard for us to police. And what you're doing now, your product is kind of doing what I wanted to have done seven years ago, where every phone should be, you could restrict what they kind of can do. And Windows phone was smart in that people like Facebook and Mail did realize we're not, we're never going to be a big seller on that device. So we're not going to yeah. do the app for that. And Snapchat realized only, only iOS and uh, Android is where we're going to be. Yeah. I mean, you see, the problem with that is you can get away with that for younger kids. Yeah. But once kids tip into kind of secondary school, the risk if you give them a phone that has you know very very low functionality or limited functionality if they if it if they can't download snapchat if they can't download whatsapp yeah. and that's where all of their friends are congregating then you ironically are setting them up to be harassed by exclusion because they are being left out of all of the gangs yeah. all the ways all of the other kids are communicating and this is the this is the sympathy i have for parents i mean my kids are seven and eight at the moment and there is there are two watersheds right now for smartphone ownership. There's communion and confirmation in this country, yeah. right? Um, but I despair for parents of children that are in secondary at secondary school stage. I mean, CyberSafe Kids, who are partners of ours, did a piece of research recently and found that 25% of 8 to 12-year-olds have experienced cyberbullying, which is extraordinarily high. Yeah. But then that rises very sharply when kids go into secondary school because kids between age... 12 and 16, 40% had experienced cyberbullying. So I despair for parents. It's very, very difficult balance for them to strike, particularly in secondary school when it's really difficult to keep saying no. Yeah. You know, primary school, you can keep saying no to a degree and there's still kind of children. But then when they're getting into secondary school, they do need a bit of agency. They need to be included or else they're going to be bullied. And, you know, I despair for parents and I really... I, I feel so bad for the level of, you know, for the choices they need to make and for the, the lack of technical options and help they get to protect their child. But, you know, it's, it's never just going to be kilter, Ronan, right? No. It's going to be it's going to be kilter as an assistant, yeah. you know, to help detect things. But there's still going to need to be open communication between parent and child. There's still going to be an education process probably where where schools are going to need to step up and make it kind of, you know, a more formal process rather than ad hoc, yeah. which it seems for a lot of schools at the moment. Um, but these issues are very, very pervasive, you know, particularly around self-harm. You know, I'll give you an example. We were talking to someone that was in uh, Pieta House and their experience of children self-harming. Um, in a lot of cases, copycat is a huge issue because what's happening is one girl might get into 
proanocytes yeah. and then starts starving. And then she'll recruit her friends and then they'll have a group and they'll start to compete about who can get the thinnest. So it becomes, and they use phraseology like achiever or you're achieving. They're very clever to try and circumvent yeah. any sort of filters on public sites or forums. They don't use the word anorexia. It's all code. Um, and those things are very, very difficult to detect. And this, this element of copycat and engaging others in, in self-harm and it, it is really, you know, pervasive. So I, look, parents are at their wits end. They aren't, you're dealing with a new generation of very, very tech savvy children who outstrip us in almost every way in terms of technological smarts. Yeah. So we need to do a lot for parents to help them. And for me also, the thing also is if WhatsApp groups, if, you're, if your class and your child's class at school is a WhatsApp group and your child isn't in that group or was kicked out, that's another way of bullying, but it's done in a way that you won't notice. Yeah, and that's very subtle and it's harassment by exclusion. Yeah. And, you know, we will be doing our level best to make sure that we have a detection facility for that as well. You know, we'll be able to detect when a child is removed from a, a WhatsApp group. We you know, we won't be able to detect if a child hasn't been included in it because it's not on their phone. It's not on their radar. Yeah. radar therefore, it's not on our radar. Um, but we'll be able to detect if a child is removed. Yeah. Um, that's our, you know, that'll be our best endeavours to make sure that we take care of that part. But to me, the most scary thing I've seen over the years is self-harm. I've seen a more certain websites where you, or apps where you where you chat with people and a lot of them are, are saying, I'm going to cut myself and it's, it's a plea for help because no one else to turn yeah. to. And that scares me big yeah. time. It is absolutely terrifying. And, you know, what we'll be doing is making sure that we can provide parents with information if their child, for instance, is looking on <clears throat> in browser searches and looking for this type of material, then we'll be able to alert the parents and say, this is the, your, your, the thought process that your child is going through at the moment. And here's be your best ways to intervene early. And because ultimately what is happening is children are going down this route. route. Parents have no idea. Yeah. I mean, Amor did this, uh, the, the research for us before we launched this kids online safety research.ie campaign. And they found that 80% of kids aged 11 and over that had a smartphone, uh, only some or sometimes none of their smartphone use was supervised. Yeah. Now that's extraordinary. And 85% of 11 plus year olds with a phone were allowed to use them in their bedroom. No. Um, it's, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's applying a level of trust to children that they're a little bit too early at times. You know, you can get a mature 11 year old and you can get a very immature 11 year old. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think at age 11 and even into early teens, they just aren't equipped to deal with an awful lot of this content that's coming at them to moderate their own behavior, to moderate their own feelings, to, to identify what's good and bad and at what point they should communicate with their parents yeah. because not all of them. Now, you know, most parents I know would say, I've got a great relationship with my child. They tell me everything. You know, you and I remember back when we were teenagers and, you know, you'd say mass, you'd say, no, I don't smoke. Smoking is disgusting. And you'd yeah. go around the corner having a fat, you know, you know how to play your parents. But it's part of being a child. You yeah. want agency and you should allow them to have that. You should allow them to have the lock on the door at a certain point. You should allow them to have a certain amount of freedom to go to the shop on their own or whatever it is in, in moderation, because that's allowing them to kind of, you know, become 
autonomous and have agency and control and that's what they want they want they're starting to become they're aware of their own identity and who they are and they want a certain amount of privacy and and you need to trust them but it's a fine line yeah it's it's a, it's a very fine line because for me like when i was growing up it was basically at 16 i wanted to get able to go shop new things and buy my own things and all that and your parents were giving you some kind of added responsibility of learning to do this because they trust you're gonna not abuse it and in my case I hardly abused it at all. I was a, I was a decent of child, but I know other kids were different, and they'd be doing things that the parents I didn't want to know about. I didn't really care because ah, oh, nothing to do with me. Let them do what they want. Yes, yes. Oh look, we've all we've all been a bit both. We've all in had, our we've all been in the state had, of sex, drugs, yeah. and rock and roll at some point in our lives. That's what it's like, and we've all done that, and to a certain extent. It's true, but the problem is consequences are can be an awful lot more stark these days oh it is because um, technology is changing what yeah. we've done like 20 30 30 40 years ago what you could access is not what you can access now yeah and like, and and 20 30 years ago when your child was indoors and in their bedroom they were safe that was it yeah that is not the same anymore the boogeyman the guy in the van is in your child's bedroom yeah potentially and f- on their phone and four years ago if they were playing on their console you know they weren't playing online or chatting to somebody else whereas now yeah. when they're playing online you don't know who they're talking to or what they're doing and that's yeah. and if you keep lying them too much the, the, your child won't respect you for that so you got to think that's what true. do i do to make sure that my child will respects me and i can respect them and wh- where's the cutoff point the thin line that we have to make yeah. sure we stay on yeah and look, we're we're hoping very much in two years' time when when Kilter is at market, um, what we want to achieve is for parents to be able to say to their child, "I trust you, I just don't trust others." Yeah. And that's why this is on your phone. So you can use your phone, use it away, but you have to realize that we are only going to get involved if you are under threat. Yeah. And I read, really, you know, children will not push back on that. They don't want to be groomed. They don't want to be cyberbullied. Yeah. Um. So. That's what the goal is. Yeah. All right, Raina, thanks for that great conversation. And uh, I'm sure your product is going to be a great success. And hopefully in five or 10 years time, it'll be worldwide because it, it deserves to be. Because you're talking. Thank you so much. You're talking a problem that I know a lot of parents are worrying about. How do we like, you said earlier briefly about the communion and also confirmation when they get their phones, first phones. That's the thing people are worrying about. Who's going to give them that and what, and how do we make sure that we don't say no, you're too young for a phone or we do. How do you make sure that they use it safely? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Absolutely, precisely. So, Ronan, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was lovely to, lovely to meet you. Likewise. Take care then. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.